This is Susana Bustos, and you are listening to Entheo Nation with Lorna Liana. Welcome to Entheo Nation, where we feature visionaries who are pioneering the cutting edge of awakening. Psychedelic science, modern shamanism, neuroscience, new paradigm lifestyles. Get ready to harness the power of visionary states and forge reality into your wildest dreams. beautiful evolutionaries, Lorna here. Before we hop into this interview with Susana Bustos about Peruvian vegetalismo in the modern era, how about we talk about doctor-prescribed ayahuasca? Okay, okay, don't get your hopes up just yet. I doubt we're going to get Aya scripts like we can get medical marijuana scripts these days. You know, like when you see an ad on the back of the free alternative city street rag for a 420-friendly medical clinic, and you show up to see the doctor and tell him that you're seeking a medical marijuana prescription to help treat your Tourette syndrome or insomnia or stress, and then he looks at you in the eye with all seriousness, stands up, comes by you, pinches your shoulders, and says, You are quite tense. I think you're an excellent candidate for medical marijuana. You pay your fee, get your medical marijuana card, and hightail it to the nearest dispensary to load up on pop brownies, gummy bears, and ice cream. We're not going to see that anytime soon with ayahuasca, but we may be moving closer toward clinical use of the psychotropic substance as a treatment for depression and other mental health problems. The results of the first clinical trial of ayahuasca in the treatment of depression was recently published to the Brazilian Review of Psychiatry. A small study of six volunteers who had been diagnosed with depression that had proved resistant to at least one type of antidepressant were given ayahuasca to treat their depression instead. Researchers observed that the subject showed reduced signs of depression when using ayahuasca. While it was a very small study, with an absence of a placebo group, it was a significant first step in studying the therapeutic benefits of the hallucinogenic brew in a structured hospital setting. Check out the story in the episode show notes at entheonation.com slash three. If you love stories like this, then join our tribe and get consciousness-raising content delivered straight to your inbox. Simply text entheonation, that's E-N-T-H-E-O-N-A-T-I on to the number 44222 and reply to the SMS with your best email address to receive a copy of this episode transcript and much much more. All right, now on to the show. Hello amazing change makers. This is Lorna Liana and we are here today for another episode of Entheo Nation. We're here with Susana Bustos who is a psychotherapist, professor and an independent researcher of indigenous and entheogenic shamanic traditions of the Americas. Her main interests revolve around the interface between western psychotherapy and traditional medicine, the healing potential of non-ordinary states of consciousness and the integration of those 
those states into daily life. Susanna lectures and works as a consultant internationally, and she also holds a private practice in Berkeley, California. So today she will be speaking with us about the world of Peruvian vegetalismo. So Susanna, thank you so much for joining us today. I'd love to understand what exactly is vegetalismo. Lorna, hi. Wonderful to be with you. Thank you for inviting me to share with Entheonation. Well, Peruvian vegetalismo is a, is a tradition, it's a mestizo tradition, a mixed-race uh, tradition that evolved from indigenous cosmologies in the late 1800s during uh, the rubber boom in Peru. And it constituted itself as a doctoring tradition pretty much during 20th century. Sorry, the rubber boom was in uh, the 1900s, so I'm, I'm just talking about like the end of uh, the 1900s and then uh, 20th century. So basically, you know, if I tell you about vegetalismo, about 50 years ago, we had in around the poor cities in the Amazon in Peru, like these doctors working primarily for people who were coming from indigenous communities and migrating into the cities. So the doctoring work uh, has this conception of universe that is both concrete and material and spiritual at the same time. So we're talking about remnants of indigenous cosmologies, animistic, and there is a variety of different doctors and healers that treat specific things and work also with specific methods. So traditionally we had like people who were the hueseros who worked with bones and bone restoration. Then we had the parteras also who worked with different plants to work to do labor. Um, so like the midwives, traditional midwives. Midwives. Mm -hmm. Then we had like people who worked particularly with uh, the water spirits and perfumes that were called the aguateros. And they're still alive. You know, there are still some of them. We have a lot of evolution right now because of the interest of the West in the medicine and ayahuasca medicine that they also work with. So basically what I'm saying is that we had a diversity of different specialties within this doctoring tradition traditionally that has that is becoming more and more reduced in like nowadays and I would say that right now within the Peruvian vegetalismo we have like three main specialties that also are combined for doctoring that are the purgas the purging methods which means plants that are used in the form of brews to detoxify. Uh, they are emetic and also diarrheic. And it's very specialist knowledge about how to use them and what for. Then we have the people who work particularly with dietas, plant diets. But that's also, as I say, it could be integrated. You know, like some uh, curanderos work with the three of these techniques and also others, but these are the main ones. So the plant diets are also plant booths and barks of plantas maestras. So master plants are... The teacher plants or the master plants? Uh -huh. Yes, exactly. That are given for mainly two purposes. One could be like doctoring, so curing a particular uh, sickness, and then also for teaching, right? And we can like go deeper into that later. And then the third kind of method used is the work with ayahuasca. So traditionally, 
also I'm talking about 40 years ago, the curanderos were the ones mainly taking the blue to diagnose the condition of the patient. And you know that now in Peru and also abroad, you know, the medicine is taken uh, also by the clients. So there, there have been a lot of changes lately. Okay, so this is really interesting. So it sounds like vegetalismo was a form of doctoring that emerged at the end of the 19th century, beginning of the 20th century. Am I understanding this correctly? Yeah, that's okay. it. Okay, and then it's split up into, it's got different professions within that overall practice of working with the plants. So you can specialize. Like I've always been intrigued by the work of the, you mentioned they were aguateros. Mm-hmm, yes. Yeah, I've heard them also called uh, perfumeros as well, yeah. with the ah. perfumers. Yeah. yeah, I would love to go back to the Amazon on the Peruvian side and explore that tradition as well, like working with the fragrant plants uh, and flowers. So, and then let me see. And so, and so, then you mentioned there were three different ways of working within mm-hmm. vegetalismo. There's the purging aspect, mm-hmm. then there's the plant diet aspect, and then there is the work with the with ayahuasca. Right, that's correct. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so it sounded like, too, back in the old days, maybe old days meaning like, you know, a few decades ago, that it was primarily the shaman that took the ayahuasca to diagnose the sick patient that went to see uh, him. Is that correct? That's correct. And also, at that, you know, I'm talking also about it's just a few de- decades ago, right? Uh, the ayahuasca brew, when it was taken by the client, it was normally called the purga, la purga. Mm-hmm. And la purga means the purge. So the visionary uh, component of, um, you know, that has to do with the additives to uh, the yana, right? were more reserved for the healer than for the client. For the client, it was mainly about just detoxifying. That's so interesting because, you know, nowadays we see these ayahuasca retreats that are, you know, being held by shamans with groups of, you know, eight, you know, at least like, you know, handful of people to, you know, like 20 or 30 or 40 people even at a time and uh, with people that are actually not sick, <laughs> but are going for some type of psychological and spiritual breakthrough. So when did the ayahuasca retreat paradigm emerge? Well... I, well, you know, I cannot tell you uh, exactly. I really don't know. What I do know are is that, okay, there is like a mea culpa that Marlene Dobkin de Rios, who was an anthropologist, who was probably one of the first ones talking about anthropological issues around vegetalismo, right, in the early 70s. She published this book where she just really talks about her publisher publicizing this um, tradition and then getting the attention from Westerners to start going down and experiencing, you know, the visionary aspect of, of the ayahuasca. So I think that if we trace back this to the early 70s, at least, you know, from the anthropological perspective, right, medical anthropology, and the impact that her writings had on people, then we can say, well, maybe this started to change around the 70s more significantly. And then we have Luna, Luis Eduardo Luna in the 80s with his um, so uh, work, his dissertation work on vegetalismo that 
later got like really publicized you know he participated all over the world like showing this tradition to other people and then you know his books on the visionary bits of it with Paolo Maringo and his paintings so I would say like 70s 80s and then the boom started like maybe like early 2000s mm-hmm. yeah Wow, so th- this is this is really interesting. Now, I'd love to understand. It sounds like vegetalismo is that primarily a Peruvian tradition because I don't really see so much of um, these cultural. I mean, I do see it on the Brazilian side, uh, uh-huh. but it seems like um, there are certain characteristics of Peruvian vegetalismo that make it very distinctly. Vegetalismo, as as you know, um, we understand the term versus you know other indigenous ways of of working with plants and and healing in other parts of the Amazon. So you know, can you help describe some of the aspects of um, healing under the Vegetalismo tradition? So if one were to go to Peru and have an experience of uh, working with uh, curandero, you know, what would one expect? Um, well, this is just very interesting question because uh, it's also how things have been um, changing and uh, what even I could even find 15 years ago uh, available and what I can find available now if I go down there, you know, are different things. I just will tell you like some differences, okay? Like if I, I was I went there like ten years ago and I tried to work with a traditional healer, say as a Quechua speaker from the Provincia San Martin, right? Uh, I'm just thinking of a couple that I visited at that time. They would not have in their repertoire the difference between what is the mind and the body. Right. So if I go there, uh, they will treat me for a physical il- illness or a spiritual illness. Like, you know, they would assess whether my condition has to do with something that's primarily physical or if it's due to a spirit. Uh, harm that somebody like sent to me or if I trespassed a a rule or if a a spirit visited me and wanted to do something to me or I got scared of him there are uh, there are several classifications of sicknesses you know at that spiritual level right so they would work with me based on that but there are no distinctions as I say between the body and the mind right Right now, if you go to curanderos, they are much more knowledgeable about these differences. So I, um, whenever I teach about vegetalismo, I say, uh, well, this is a tradition that doesn't have, that doesn't distinguish between mind and body because it's just, they don't have these dichotomies as embedded as we have them, right? But this has been changing. So you go down there and you have like a depression or, you know, you're like in an existential search for something. And then there are many people now available and understanding about what's going on with you. And they would give you plans for that. Yeah, I don't know if I am clear with with that evolution that's happening. 
Do you think that, um, uh, so uh, do you think that this tradition is actually dying out or is it growing and deepening just with, you know, more knowledge and categorization of plants and, of course, much more ayahuasca tourism and people going down to learn these ways? Do you, um, what do you see? Yeah, well, that's a very good question. I think that what we are seeing is uh well f- first let me let me frame this like i think that shamanism you know this is a shamanic uh based tradition right has survived so many millennia in humanity's start history because of its ability to integrate newness you know, instead of cracking open or just dying because of uh, encountering new cultures and new ideas. It's very permeable and uh, very permeable traditions that are changing constantly. And I think that we, what we're seeing now, if, if we think also that this emerged and constituted itself as a kind of shamanistic tradition in the late 1900s, you know, it's, it's just a tradition that is evolving and I don't think it's gonna die right it's just transforming I don't know how deeply it's gonna transform uh yet and I'm curious myself about you know what are the new recreations of it that's that gonna that are gonna emerge from this encounter like strong encounter with the west you know there are many westerners now training in vegetalismo as well which is also something relatively new you know uh within the tradition itself if we can even call a tradition tradition if if you're like uh, uh 100 years old as a tradition right Interesting. I almost kind of see this as an evolving apprenticeship with the plants, so to speak. And, you know, uh, in some of the other interviews I've had so far with, uh, uh, for example, with uh, uh, Rack Razam and with uh, Dennis McKenna, it almost seems like it's like the jungle is wanting to make her presence known more and more in the West in order to just wake us up because, you know, we'd, we'd... definitely um need to wake up before we end up destroying this planet with our um with our really wasteful and uh uh destructive environmentally destructive ways it's an interesting synergy that i'm seeing with the old the you know like the culture of the Amazon and then, you know, how it's evolving through Western uh, influence as well. And, um, you know, I do think it's a good thing too, that more Westerners are going down there to train because it, at least, you know, it's, it's becoming more about just the ayahuasca as the one way to heal. So uh, I'm curious to know with your experience working uh, and researching uh, down, uh, researching vegetalismo down in the Amazon. Well, first of all, let, let's, uh, I'd love to ask you, know, what, what brought you down there? What inspired you to go down to study these traditions? And then what have you seen with regards to um, it working with the different plants versus <laughs> just solely with ayahuasca? Yeah. Um, well, Basically, what brought me down was like this was like 15, 16, 16 years ago. I was um, in Chile, still in Chile. I'm Chilean originally, right? Um, uh, learning about 
in, in working and training in uh, uh, particular techniques to expand consciousness and to work with healing and in expanded states of consciousness. So I was working on that. And I came across uh, ayahuasca several times. Um, and I had a very uh, first experience with ayahuasca in a non-traditional setting in Chile with people that I knew from another country, um, not Peru. And it was a very long journey, a very deep one, very transformational one. And it was, and it opened up a Kundalini rising that was uh, very, very strong with seizures that lasted for, they were very strong the first six to 10 months. And then uh, they started to go down, but it lasted, the process was like four years. So I worked with people that I knew to support this, that happened to, you know, as a result, it was directly linked to the ceremony that I had. And after about uh, four months of working intensively and just like, trying to get over what was triggered. I had a blockage that I couldn't overcome. So that's why it was so strong. I decided to go to Peru. At that time, I was working uh, at the governmental level with drug abuse prevention programs. And I had heard of Takiwasi, this uh, drug abuse prevention, this drug abuse rehabilitation center in Tarapoto in Peru. And... I said, well, I need to go where I can be treated. Like something went wrong in this ceremony. I mean, what's what's happening with me? I cannot resolve the situation. So basically, what I'm trying to say, Lorna, I went to Peru the first time to experience this tradition, not because of wanting to experience it, but because I was sick and I was looking for somebody who was knowledgeable, who could, like, help me out, basically. Um so I, I uh, arrived in Takiwasi, and I was so fortunate that the first person I saw there was Don Solon Tello Lozano, who is, uh, was a very famous old curandero who was there at Takiwasi at that time. And I told him my story, and he treated me during a week intensively. And um, the results of the treatment and the whole context and the way that he held everything were so deep and so uh, uh, healing for my condition that I felt inside me that there was something here that this tradition was offering that we needed, I needed to explore more. So since then, I started going to Takiwasi first and then like looking into the healers that were in that area. So I'm talking about Tarapoto and Chasuta, Lamas, you know, that, that area in the Provincia of San Martín. And then later I came to the States and I was able to work in my PhD, for my PhD research in the area of Pucallpa with, particularly with one curandero, but also, um, uh, with others. So I think that this is an amazing tradition that has a lot of possibilities and it's much broader than just ayahuasca work and that's the beauty of it as well and it also has its its challenges it's not we, we sometimes like think of the ayahuasca work or the vegetalismo work or any other tradition as a sanitized type of um uh, and spiritual type of traditions, basically, and ways of working. You know, there are a lot of 
dark things also around there and challenges, many levels that we can also address later. But if you want to, uh, if I can like go to, to the second question, which was what do you get with the work with other plants that are not just ayahuasca yeah. yeah totally because i i what i notice in brazil for example it's almost kind of like if you have any condition at all just drink some ayahuasca or drink some daime and you know on one hand it, it's kind of I, I i see ayahuasca as a very powerful master plant and there's so much deep healing that comes with working with uh this particular plant um but i'm not so sure if i would go as far as to say that you know this plant is going to heal me of every Thing. So I'm curious to know what kinds of health conditions and plant diets might be appropriate. Um, what kind of plant diets might be appropriate for certain health conditions? Mm-hmm. Well, there are like so many different plants and every curandero will work with the plants that uh, he himself or, uh, you know, his maestro has worked with or has dieted. So I'm saying that it's not just about the plants, it's about the relationship of the curandero with those plants. How, and this is very important also as a distinctive aspect of the tradition, which is you basically don't treat the plants as objects, as medicines separated from you. You develop a relationship with the spirit of the plant. And the way that the via regia to do that for the curandero is to diet that plant and commune and learn from the teachings that that plant is is giving you, right? So in that way, we're talking about an intimacy of connection and acknowledging of the sentience of the otherness, the intelligence of the plant within yourself. And by ingesting the plant, you also uh, make yourself a greenhouse of the plant and you can keep it alive uh, by different means. Yeah. So every curandero will have a bunch of plants that uh, they know better because they have dieted them and then they use them for particular conditions. So what, you know, my maestro in Pucallpa, for example, would use to treat uh, cancer, for example, would be different than somebody from Chasuta. And also in the different regions of the Amazon, you find different plants and different trees. So it's not just the same, right? There is a diversity there. But um, you asked me about different conditions. There are plants to treat from cancer to hepatitis to kidney issues to lung conditions. And as you're saying, like within this tradition, it's not just about just take ayahuasca and you're going to be cured. It's like, okay, this is a bark that you have to drink as a medicine, Icarado, so that's charged with its song, right, for a particular amount of time. And in between, you might be able, if you're strong enough, to take ayahuasca as well, to just go deeper into the roots of why are you sick. Some treatments may involve purging as well, and some treatments may just like involve water that has been Icarada, has been charged with Icaros, with these shamanic songs, because your condition is so weak, you're so weak in your body, that uh, you cannot have even a bark, uh, a remedy, right? I have seen an amazing uh, recovery of a person with a tumor 
uh, in the hypothesis just with Agua y Carada and um, during 21 days. A, a tumor where? Uh, on the hypothesis. Where's the hypothesis? The hypothesis is like that little, oh, um, it, it's a little organ that's in the brain, like in the center of the brain. Like the pituitary uh, gland? or it's, it's not the pituitary gland. It's another gland, but it's close to it. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I think I remember the story. Yeah, I think it might. I, I recall when you and I were down in Pucallpa exactly. uh -huh. at is very, very beautiful place next to a geothermal river. Um, right. Working with um, uh, the shaman um, that you were studying with uh, all that time. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, so I'm curious to know. So you, you saw very positive results from that. So it's been so many years since I heard the story. How is your patient? She is doing fabulous. Actually, she's coming to visit in February. <gasps> wow. I remember she was so sick. Yeah, she was very, very sick. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And has the, the tumor has been completely, has di disappeared completely. Yeah, this is, uh, this is what I was telling you. It, she was treated, as you might remember, just with Awekara because she was so weak and she had developed also like a secondary diabetes due to this uh, tumor that was like pressing some areas of the brain, right? So she was fainting constantly uh, because the insulin levels were up and down. And after the 21 days where she had basically uh, Awekara, some plant baths with uh, primarily with flowers. And then uh, she participated in ayahuasca ceremonies, but as a participant. So she got the curings, individual curings during the ceremony, but she was not taking the ayahuasca herself. She went back home to Chile and she had... Um, scanner and uh and other uh things and there was no tumor anymore and no signs of diabetes so she was completely cured and the physicians didn't know what happened and uh, they were like please tell us what was the medical protocol here and um so she said i don't know what happened to me i just drank water right <laughs> she didn't even drink any other plant medicines no, no. Fascinating. Was, yeah. So this is also, you know, part of this tradition, which is the Icaros. And we're talking about this shamanic melodies where they, when they are really brought to the healer during dieting process, during the learning apprenticeship process, or also during ayahuasca ceremonies, you can also learn some Icaros that are kind of channeled you know, uh, from the plant world to you, they have a quality that captures kind of the essence of that plant beingness in the, in, in the way that I, I have come to understand it, in the way that you have, you as a healer have incorporated that plant within yourself. So it has, it's kind of a living living intelligence you know and when you charge as a healer a brew that you have prepared or water with those songs then you are embedding that uh 
water or that brew with a life essence. So you're making a medicine. Mm, that is really intriguing. Yeah, yeah. Love this episode? You can receive the transcript for free by simply texting Entheonation, that's E-N-T-H-E-O-N-A-T-I-O-N, to the number 44222. All you need to do is to reply to the SMS message with your best email address, and we'll send you the transcript and our guide to navigating visionary states for free as a VIP citizen of Entheonation. There are many things we can talk forever. <laughs> I know, I know. So I, I want to um, ask you, because you mentioned uh, there, it was a process of, um, you know, working with the plants um, is actually a process of getting to know the spirit and developing or cultivating an intimacy with the plants. And so how does one do that? Does, uh, you know, for example, I had heard that every plant has its song. And one of the um, ways that you get to know the plant is to learn its song. So can you tell us more about how we can cultivate an intimacy with a healing plant? Mm-hmm. Well, I can tell you how uh, how it's done over there. Basically, during during the apprenticeship time, I talked already about the plant diets, right? Like the, a plant diet is, has different levels and different ways of being done, but the most extreme one that is used uh, for apprenticeship and also in cases of like strong disease is to isolate the person into a hut in Monte. We call it monte in the jungle, right? It's an open hut normally, just, you know, a roof on top and you have a hammock there and you drink your plant and you reduce your diet to the minimum, which is normally plantain, roasted plantain and a little bit of rice and just water. No salt, no sugar. You barely see people. You just see the healer who comes with the food or somebody who's coming with the food during the time that you're up there. And that's it. You also avoid any uh, sexual contact during that time or any sexuality with yourself. You're just like in this communion with the plant for a particular time frame, right? So what what happens during plant diets, and you know, I have been following at least 100 uh, diet processes, uh, particularly at Takiwasi, that are you know I have been working there as a clinical supervisor in the past. I just came back like a year ago uh, from being a year and a half there working. So particularly there, what I saw is that during the eight days diet that they do. And the diets could last much longer, huh? They could last like three months, four months, six months. It depends. And also uh, four days. But the minimum that I have seen start working, you know, in this communion that we're talking about is eight days. What happens is that slowly you go into a process of detoxing. Like the first days, you're like craving food and you feel you sweat a lot. Uh, you have, you're very unquiet normally. And uh, as you start drinking your plant and going deeper and deeper, you go into what I call a state of transparency, which is 
making your growth way of being into something uh, more subtle and subtle, the distinction between you and the environment and between you and the jungle start getting blurry. So it's like you enter slowly into a dreamlike state. You're not consuming salt. So that's also, I think that also like plays a big part in this, uh, in this, uh, feeling that you have in this state of being that you start entering and then you start like getting kind of uh, synch- synchronicities happening like for example you're working with intense fear about your past and then you get bats in your tambo right <laughs> and then you're like okay <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> this is just amplified, right? But it's like this synchronicity of nature talking you and telling you things and you just get it. You just you're you're getting teachings right away from what's happening around you that are in uh, tune with what you're working through. And then as time goes by too, you get like whispers you start hearing things not in a kind of psychotic type of way you know you're just like feeling certain things that come through your ears sometimes sometimes it's um you go into these deep stupors and you get kind of a very vivid dream as if you were there with somebody and that somebody is teaching you something and you know that somebody is related in some way to your uh, plan, the plan that you're taking. You don't have any doubt about that, whether you come from Germany and don't, you know, don't have any experience with anything or you are a local, right? This is at least what I have seen in the practice. So in, in this plant diets, during this plant diets, there are certain people who get a melody, a song that normally starts like repeating itself. Like it's a melody that, you know, like you just like hear it in the back of your mind and then it gets like more and more bothering because you cannot get it out of your mind. And then until you pay attention to it and until you're able to sing it. And then normally after that, the words come, but uh, it's usual to have the melody come first. Um, sometimes also you have this uh, songs coming in dreams and it's just like, you know, you wake up and you wake up with the whole entire thing in your mind, the whole song. And as I say, this is for some people and for some people it doesn't happen. But the process of getting intimate with the plant and making yourself, as I say, this uh, container for it, you know. Curanderos there say, once you have dieted a plant, the plant lives in you forever. And it's up to you to keep it alive or just like to have it reduced to a minimum, but it's going to be with you until you die. Mm. That's mm-hmm. quite beautiful actually, because in a way it's almost like you've, it's, you have this guardian spirit with you uh, at all times. Yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. Well, um, I would love to keep um, exploring this topic. I'm sure there's so much we can talk about, but I do want to uh, leave you with two questions as we're coming up to the, the end of this segment. So I'm curious to know, do you think vegetalismo has the ability 
um, like these practices have the ability to cure cancer because cancer is probably the one of the number one um, diseases that we in the modern world are having to grapple with. And, uh, and I'm curious to know, as I've heard plenty of accounts of successful, of shamans successfully curing cancer with Amazon, Amazonian plant medicines. What, what have you seen in addition to this patient that you worked with whose, um, whose brain tumor essentially went away? Uh, what is your thoughts on the potential of vegetalismo to help us cure cancer? Mm-hmm. Well, I have seen, I'm going to just talk up uh, from experience, right? Because from the practical work, I, I have, you know, my husband and I like bring down people to do healing work, uh, to the Amazon every year, um, with Juan Flores, who is our maestro. Um, I have brought, uh, quite, quite a few people already, uh, either recovering from uh, cancer or still with cancer. Um, um, and our maestro works with, uh, Ayauma, which is a tree that grows by the water and he prepares, uh, Ayauma, uh, with the bark of that tree. Um, we have seen very good, uh, results with that. Um, depending on the condition of the person, you have to just you know, keep drinking it for a few months with also dietary restrictions and energetic restrictions. So you will avoid certain things so that you're not, because you're going into this a state of transparency anyway when you're dieting a plant, right? So you need to take care of your energetic field as well. And they tell you what to do and what not to do. So we have seen very good results. I We haven't um, being rigorous and just following up with people over the years, except for a few people. But uh, uh, the people that we have taken down, I would say that I have followed up personally. Maybe we have four or five cases that I have followed up with, with no relapse into cancer. Then I also have seen two other cases uh, besides the, the first one of the brain tumor um, that also have had, um, have had, uh, remission of the tumor and no coming back of the tumor, uh, with plants that are not necessarily meant for cancer, but after an assessment of what the person is carrying emotionally, uh, we, we, we have decided with the healers to I'm talking about takiwasi, huh? Here, to give the person for a diet process, like a particular plan to work through something emotional in their lives. And we have seen remission of tumors at the brain level with no coming back of the tumor, at least in two years. Uh, This is as much as I know. And I'm talking about two more cases that I know besides of Carolina's. So... That's as much as I can tell you from my experience. I think that when we're talking about cancer, we're talking about a multicultural sickness, right? It has multiple possibilities of why it was conformed and constituted into, into a sickness. And I think there, there are, there is a, a potential, uh, in vegetalismo to address this successfully. 
I have seen that, right? But I don't think that there is one way of doing it within vegetalismo itself. It's probably a lot about the connection that the person has with the healer and the healer with the person and the understanding of the plant work and what the person needs. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. Thank you so much for sharing that. So if um, a person wanted to explore vegetalismo these days, what are some uh, cautions or pitfalls that you would point out so that they can be aware and then have a positive experience if they go down to Peru? Mm-hmm. Um, I would say, like, first, understand that you are not going into a tradition that is a spiritual tradition, like as if you go to, I don't know, like India to an ashram or something like that. You're going to a doc- into a doctoring tradition and that there are, uh, there are a lot of people offering ayahuasca down there now now because of the demand being so big. So, you know, we're talking about a poor country and this has become a business, you know, in in um, many regions of Peru. So be careful of with whom are you working with. Uh, then why do you want to engage in this? What is your real purpose? You know, is it just to explore? You know, you were talking about ayahuasca tourism before, right? Or are you seriously looking for some healing, right? If you're if you're like seriously looking for some healing, then like be clear about what are you looking for and how long can you stay because it's not magical. You know, it just takes it takes a time, it takes a commitment. It is not easy to go through this treatment if you have to be purging, you know, four times per week, if you have to be doing ayahuasca ceremonies on top of that and, and being in isolation, for example, for a long time, it's not it's not easy. <laughs> so be prepared, you know, to face the challenges. Especially and then, all the bugs. <laughs> and especially all the bugs. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I think that that's one of the most challenging. Oh, gosh. Yeah, terrible. Oh. I think yeah. my worst per like my worst uh, pest that I had to deal with down there were the uh, chiggers. I think they're called lisangos or isangos down in Peru. The the, the, the noceums in the grass. No, those are the um, no the isangos are the big uh, ants. Oh, the, okay. The inch long ants. Those are. Oh, I'm missing right now the the word for that in in Spanish. Yeah, they're the invisible, really itchy creatures that no, like no, to no, migrate. You're right. Lorna, you're right. It's the isango. That's yeah. the uh-huh. you know, yeah, yeah. No, I I was confusing them with the isulas. The isulas are the the big ants. Uh huh. Yeah. yeah. So the isangos like to migrate to the warmest, moistest part of your body. <laughs> And just scratch yourself to death. Oh because, my god! Yeah. <laughs> uh huh. Wow. So, any other any other things to watch out for? So it's not easy. There's lots of bugs. Exactly. You also need to know where are you going. Uh, like, uh, be be clear about what's your purpose. Like, learn Spanish. You can be like misled to people who are not who don't know much, and they just want to sell you a product. Right. Be careful if you're a woman. There are also a lot of people who are doing ceremonies, conducting ceremonies where like you were talking about womanizers before. You know, there are like transgressions also at that level that you want to avoid if you're if you want to avoid them. Right. Um, And also, if you're coming with like big conditions, 
you know, like people with like uh, big depressions, uh, if you you had a psychotic breakdown, um, stuff like if you have like extreme things, don't think that you're gonna find. Don't don't like put all your monies into going down there to find a magical cure because it doesn't work like that. You just really have to do your homework in terms of knowing what the tradition is about, what they can what they can offer you, and who can can really provide that for you down there be knowledgeable about you know what what are you seeking and who is available there like ask there are so many blogs now that you can ask things you know people will like happily respond to you um get in touch with experts here you know um before you embark in something like that if you have a heavy condition. This is what it occurs to me right now, Lorna. I don't know if you are thinking of something else too with your experience. Um, so how can people best stay in touch with you, Susanna? Through our blog. Uh, it's like www.roamingthemind.com. And I think that my email is like not working right now uh, there, but I'm like hope, hoping to... Um, to restore it back uh, in the next few days. Otherwise, there is another email that you can um, connect with me with, which is uh, tutibu is T as in tango, U, T as in tango, I, B as in boy, U at gmail.com. Wow, excellent. So uh, I suppose then if um, people had questions that they wanted to get clear on many of the things that you were suggesting in terms of who to go to, you know, who, what they want to be treated for, then could they go to roamingthemind.com and, and ask you? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Wonderful, mm-hmm. wonderful. Thank you so much for joining us today on Entheonation and sharing with us your story and um, helping us understand how we can explore the world of vegetalismo and, uh, and uh, cultivate a relationship with the plants. Um, you have a beautiful day now, Susanna. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Lorna, for doing this. It's fabulous initiative. So <laughs> all the best. <laughs> yeah. So great to reconnect with you. <laughs> Same, yeah. Bye. Okay, folks, if you like this interview, check out the show notes at entheonation.com slash three to learn more about Susanna's work. I also encourage you to get on our mailing list so that you never miss an episode by texting entheonation, that's E-N-T-H-E-O-N-A-T-I-O-N to the number 44222 and replying with your best email so that you can get onto our mailing list. I want to end this episode with a song from a dear friend of mine, a shaman from the Hunaquin tribe who lives at the last village on the Humaitá River in Acre, Brazil. His name is Ninawa Paidamata, father of the forest, and we created this album, Transformando a Tradição, Transforming Tradition, together with the members of the Mantric Mambo group from the Templo Maidagua in Alto Paraíso, Brazil. This song is called Cura da Floresta, Healing of the Forest. Meus irmãos, vou chamar aqui nesse terreiro É a força da cura É a força da cura É a força da cura Para nos curar Meus irmãos, vou chamar aqui nesse terreiro 
é a força da cura, é a força da cura, é a força da cura. Chamar aqui nesse terreiro É a força da cura Da linha de arroche É a força da cura Da linha de arroche É a força da cura Da linha de arroche Chamar aqui nesse terreiro É a força da cura Tirou a moção É a força da cura Tirou a moção É a força da cura Tirou a meu pai, a divina mãe, suprema luz de amor, o do pai criador. Peço força, meu pai, a divina mãe, suprema luz de amor, o do pai criador. Força do Pai Criador Peço 
pra meu pai, a divina mãe Suprema luz de amor Força do pai criador